me in your Bibles to the book of 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians. Our text this morning uh, is at the very end of this book, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and we'll begin reading in verse 23. Uh, our text this morning is verse 25, but we'll read verses 23 through 28. Hear now the word of the living God. And now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And our text this morning is verse 25. Brothers, pray for us. Thus ends the reading of God's very word. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would come now by your blessed Spirit and you, Lord Jesus, would walk in the midst of this candlestick and that you, O oh God, the Holy Spirit, you would speak the word that you gave through uh, the men of old and that you have preserved and kept down through the ages, that you would take your holy, infallible, inerrant, authoritative word, the Holy Scriptures, the Bible, and that you would preach the good news to our hearts even this day. Those of us who know you to revive us, Lord, to love you more. And if there be any listening this day who are apart from you, Lord, awaken them from their slumber of death. Open their eyes, unstop their ears, quicken their dead heart by your Spirit to see your beauty, O, o Lord God, and to run to you, Lord Jesus, confessing their sin and turning from it and confessing from the heart, Jesus is Lord. In Christ we pray, amen. Brothers, pray for us. Now at the end of this book, we have four pithy statements that this book ends with. These four truths are truths that it would be easy for us to read and just kind of gloss over. Um, but these are profound truths that the Apostle Paul leaves the church at Thessalonica in his first letter to think about, to live in light of. And so it is with us. These are powerful, precious important truths. And the first of these four we're going to look at this morning. Brothers, pray for us. The Apostle Paul is asking the church at Thessalonica to pray for him. 
uh, why is this so important for us? Well, first of all, I want you to notice how he viewed and regarded the Christians there in Thessalonica. He refers to them by the term brothers. This is a profound truth that we need to take note of and we need to take to heart and we need to live in light of. Our relationship of all the ways you could describe who are you, there is nothing more important in the universe or in your life than to be, by the grace of God, a part of the family of God, redeemed in the blood of the Lamb, adopted into God Almighty's family. And the Apostle Paul now, in this first truth that he leaves the church at Thessalonica with until he would either visit them or write to them again is a truth that we need to take to heart and we need to live in light of. Brothers. Brothers. How do people become brothers? Well, if you'll turn with me in the book of Romans, chapter 8, we have a passage of Scripture that describes for us the mighty work of God uh, uh, reconciling us to himself. And it culminates in the most amazing, close relationship that God would even not only forgive us and give us the privilege of serving him as bond slaves. And what a privilege that would be to be a bond slave of Christ, uh, to be one that is bought uh, from the realm of darkness with the precious blood of Jesus, and now we are obligated to the living God to love him and serve him. You remember uh, in the Gospel of Luke, and you can keep your finger there in Romans 8. Turn with me to the Gospel of, of Luke, chapter 15. Um, <clears throat> the Pharisees had come and were complaining uh, that Jesus was eating with people that the Pharisees uh, would not touch would not allow come into their homes, uh, would not dare be seen sitting down and, and eating a meal with. Uh, the tax collectors, uh, the sinners. And so in verse 1, now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, to Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Now, this doesn't mean that Jesus was applauding and encouraging people to continue on in their life of rebellion against the Lord. 
But this is an amazing picture for us of one who was willing to go after those uh, that these Pharisees, who were sort of like the preachers of our day, and they stood uh, aloof and viewed others with contempt and said, I'm thankful that I'm not like and then you can fill in the blank. And Jesus told three parables uh, to rebuke the uh, self-righteous, wicked Pharisees who all they had was the outward show of man-made religion, but their hearts were full of hypocrisy and wickedness and rebellion against the living God. And first, Jesus told the parable of the lost sheep. And he said, what man uh, has a flock, and if he has one sheep that is lost, he leaves the flock and goes and rescues the sheep uh, that has fallen away and fallen in distress And when he finds his lost sheep and brings that sheep back to the fold, then what? Verse 6, when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. And so you can see, Jesus doesn't leave lost sheep lost. He doesn't come and put his arms around the lost sheep and says, uh, I affirm you wherever you are. I'm, I'm good with you doing your own thing. No, he comes and he rescues that lost sheep out of the pit that that sheep had fallen into. He comes and spiritually what that means is He comes and brings conviction. He comes and brings the truth of the gospel to press upon our hearts. And he confronts me and you with my sin. And he says, you're not right. For the purpose of us repenting and humbling ourselves and turning from sin and turning to Jesus. And he does what? He receives us. He forgives us. He cleanses us. And what is the bottom line? The bottom line, Jesus says, if a shepherd loses a sheep, he goes after it. He rescues it, brings it home. And when he does, he calls his neighbors together and says, we're going to have a party, a sanctified party, but nonetheless a party, a time of joy and rejoicing. This sheep was lost, but now it's found. And look what Jesus says then in verse 7. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. And so here the Lord Jesus uh, is pointedly giving this rebuke to these self-righteous Pharisees who said we're righteous because they were following the Mickey Mouse rules of the rabbis 
And because of these outward rules that they were following, even though inside they were full of all manner of wickedness. For example, the rabbis taught that as long as you didn't sleep with another woman, you hadn't broken the seventh commandment. But Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, but if a man looks upon a woman and lusts for her in his heart, he has committed adultery in his heart. Those were the kind of games that the Pharisees played. Well, then Jesus tells the parable of the lost coin in verse 8. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls her friends together and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And so again, we see the Lord Jesus rebuking uh, these self-righteous men who really weren't right with God. They claimed to be. And then Jesus tells the parable of the prodigal son. Verse 11, And he said there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them, and not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. And no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. But the older son... Now his older son was in the field, and he came and drew near to the house. He heard music and dancing. 
And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you. I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might, might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, you have devoured your property. Who has devoured your property with prostitutes? You killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. And so, what a picture God paints for us of the grace of God. This prodigal son uh, took the father's resources and squandered them. Uh, he comes to a place where uh, he realizes what a fool he has been, uh, that his friends really aren't friends at all, uh, that they are just in it for what they can get. And he is destitute, and he comes to himself. He comes to his senses, and he says, You know, my father's hired servants are better off than I am. Uh, here I thought that I, I had the world by the tail, but what a fool I've been. I'm going to go home, and I'm going to tell my father I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Uh, just treat me as one of your hired servants. Take me back. I, I'll be content just to be a, a servant in your house. Uh, but what do we see painted for us here? A picture of God's amazing grace. This father... He saw his son a long way off, and what does the father do? He runs out to his son, and he embraces him. He hasn't bathed in who knows how long. He's been tending pigs. He stinks, but the father doesn't care. He wraps his arms around this son, and he kisses him, and he brings him back. And the son says, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Just take me back as one of your hired servants. And what does the father do? He says, hogwash. No, he, that's just a paraphrase. He says, I will have none of that. You are my son. And he puts a royal robe on him, the best robe in the house. He puts sandals on his feet. He puts a signet ring on his hand again, the symbol that he is now viewed as a son. And he has a celebration. Of course, the older brother represented these self-righteous Wicked Pharisees who did not see the reality of their own condition. It was easy for them to look at the, the filth uh, of this younger brother. Uh, but they also were tainted with the same, same odious problem of sin. 
God has done an amazing work. If you belong to Jesus, he has not just forgiven you, but he has made you a son, a daughter. In Romans chapter 8, verse 1, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Uh, before uh, we experience God's grace, uh, Him granting us a soft heart to repent and believe in Jesus, uh, the thing that animated us, the force that had captured us was sin and death. But the Lord has rescued us. It's His grace. You remember in Ezekiel chapter 36 and chapter 37, uh, the Lord gave the prophet Ezekiel uh, a glimpse of, of what Messiah would do when He would come. Uh, he would take out their heart that was dead, a heart of stone, and give His people a heart that was alive uh, to believe in him. In chapter 37, uh, he took Ezekiel and showed him the valley of dry bones. Uh, and that's what I would be. That's what I am apart from the grace of God. That's what you are apart from the grace of God. Dead, dry bones. But God has made us alive. And he has not only forgiven us, but he has adopted us. Down in this chapter, look in uh, verse 12 of Romans 8. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The term Abba, it was an Aramaic word. And this term Abba, the equivalent in our language would be Papa or Daddy. Uh, here's the picture of a little child running to their, their, their parent and, and saying, Mama, Daddy. Now, when you see a little child do that, you don't think, Oh, how disgusting. How inappropriate. And no, uh, it warms your heart. Uh, when a little child runs to their, to their parent, uh, oh, what a beautiful picture. Um, well, that is the picture God paints for us, describing the privilege we have in God's family. That God has given His Spirit, the Spirit of adoption, whereby we cry because we're trusting in Jesus. God has not only justified us, but He has adopted us. And the Apostle Paul now, at the end of of this first uh, letter to the church at Thessalonica ends with these four truths, and the first of them begins with this reminder of the incredible privilege 
that God's people have to be in God's family. Brothers, pray for us. In the book of Hebrews chapter 2, we have a passage that the more I think about it, the more amazed I am. Uh, in Hebrews chapter 2, we have a description of the Lord Jesus. And, and I want you to look in, in verse 10 and following of Hebrews chapter 2. For it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. Uh, the Father... Uh, was, was willing uh, to have his son come and live in a fallen world and experience all of the reality of the fall, except he was without sin. But he's been tempted in all points as we are. He knows what it is uh, to be hungry. He knows what it is to be betrayed. He knows what it is to be uh, brokenhearted. Verse 11, for he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all are from one. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. And that's what is so amazing. Jesus is not ashamed to own his children as his brothers. Now think about that. Think about, think about what you have said and done this past week as a Christian. Have, have you ever thought anything that wasn't pleasing to the Lord? Have you said anything recently that wasn't pleasing to the Lord? Have you done anything or not done what you should have done? And every one of us, Jesus would have very good cause to be ashamed of us. But oh, the amazing grace of God. Brothers, for this reason, because of the work of redemption through this Savior, because of Christ, Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers. I want you to look at one more passage of Scripture with me over in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 1. <clears throat> and here in the genealogy of the Lord Jesus, we have some ladies that are highlighted, okay? They're, they're not but just a handful of women that are mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus. And I want you to think now, this is the genealogy of the one who, according to the flesh, was descended from David, from Abraham. And who is this one? It is the Son of God. It is the holy, holy, holy God. The God before whom no evil can stand. The angels in heaven veil their faces. They've never sinned. 
but they do not deem it proper to look with unveiled face at the holy God. God is so perfect. He is so full of majesty that the angels are overwhelmed to be in his presence. And I want you to notice now in the genealogy of Jesus, first of all, look at verse 1, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. And Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. You remember the account of what happened? Well, it's not a pretty story. It's a story of of wickedness. It's a story of gross immorality. And yet God's grace is greater than our sin. Now, why would God highlight that? You know, if if I was going to write my genealogy, I don't think I would highlight the bootleggers and the horse thieves in my family tree. Would you? And yet here we have the Lamb of God, the Holy One, showing us and reminding us that even though sin is very real, Even though sin is awful, God's grace is greater than our sin because of the Redeemer, the Lord Jesus. Keep reading. And Perez, the father of Hezron, and Hezron, the father of Ram, and Ram, the father of Amenadab, and Amenadab, the father of Nashon, and Nashon, the father of Salmon, and Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab. And here's another one. And what was Rahab before she became prominent in the family of God? Rahab, like Tamar, was a prostitute. But by the grace of God, she was changed, she was forgiven. She came to have faith in the Christ and God even blessed for her to be in the family. The family tree. God's grace is greater than our sin. Jesus is the Savior. And little Boaz, he's bounced on the knee of this woman who delights in Messiah. A woman of faith who is full of joy and gladness and she raises this little boy to love the King of glory. Keep reading. And Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth. And Ruth was who? She was a Moabitess. She was one of those icky, pagan people who had nothing to do for the first part of her life with truth. 
with righteousness. But by the grace of God, she also comes to know Messiah. And Ruth becomes Boaz's wife. And if you haven't read the book of Ruth recently, it's a good one. What an amazing God, the God of the Bible is. And here this little declaration that the Apostle Paul ends with, the first of these four truths, he reminds these Christians that they have the incredible privilege of being a part of the family of God. Because Messiah, has claimed them. And they are not just forgiven. They're not just bond servants. They are brothers. And Jesus is not ashamed to own us if we own Him. He will own us on that great day. For this cause, He is not ashamed to call us brothers. And in Hebrews 2, we have a quote from Hebrews, uh, I I mean, in Hebrews chapter 2 from Psalm 22. Jesus says, I will tell of your name, talking about the Father's name. I, Jesus, will tell your, the Father's name, to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I, will sing your praise. How do you view Jesus? Do you glory in this one who came after you, a lost sheep, and drew you out of the pit? Do we love him and glory in him? Do we see that we were the prodigal son and the father has come and wrapped his arms around us and not just forgiven us in the redeeming work of his son, but he has adopted us and made us part of his royal family. We are kings and queens, princes, princesses of the king of heaven adopted bearing his name and the apostle paul he says brothers pray for us well that was supposed to have taken about five minutes so we'll look at the last half of this little verse Uh, why did the apostle want these people to pray for him? So you'll have to come back next week and we'll find out. But I'll give you a hint. The apostle Paul needed God's help. And if he needed God's help, do you need God's help? Do I need God's help? You better believe it. Uh, I would encourage you to read the book of 2 Thessalonians this week in your spare time because we're going to be looking at 
the book of 2 Thessalonians to get a better feel for exactly how much the Apostle Paul said uh, he needed the prayers of God's people. But we close today with just this amazing word of encouragement. If you love Jesus, God says you are a brother or sister to Jesus and a brother and sister to God's people. What a privilege. Oh, how we delight to be in God's family. May God grow us to act better in light of the name he's put on us. Let's pray. Father, we glory in your Son. We glory in your grace. We stand in amazement. Let us love and sing and wonder because you are our Redeemer. Oh Lord, do not let us be cold and indifferent to you. Do not let us be cold and indifferent to one another because of your saving grace and presence, O oh Lord Jesus. Lord, we beg that as you own us, that we would be those who are stirred this day by your Spirit to live better, more consistently in the way we think, in the way we live in our own hearts, but in our own families, uh, to treat those around us uh, more in the way you want us to treat one another and in our church family. Uh, oh Lord, capture us by your grace, by your mercy, uh, and, and transform us. Oh Lord, cause us to be those who, because of, of our mercy that you have showered upon us, we can't help but show that mercy, that love, that kindness to the people around us. In your name and for your sake, Lord, write these things upon our hearts. In Jesus we pray, amen.